podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Right in the Gary Kelly's podcast from wherever you are listening in the world right now. It's the morning after the game before as we look back on Watford. The season so far, and much, much more today. We have Birmingham's finest, Matt Brown Bolton, and Mr. LUFC Stats himself, Andrew Dalton. Can I just say how refreshed Stats is looking this morning? Looks like you've got, uh, I don't know, chocolate last night, Stats. Went to bed at nine o'clock, you know, bed and bath for nine. Is that that how it's looking? Yeah, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. And then Matt BB, born and bred Brummie, supporting Leeds United fan. Pretty sure you're the only one. You know, it's like, um, I'll tell you what it reminds me of, Stats. Have you ever ever seen a Scouser in a Manchester United shirt? Uh, Well, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. I feel, I feel, I've got, I feel compelled to, to pull out my bit. Yeah, I was born at St. James's Hospital, thank you very much. I was born at Jimmy's, the fateful summer of 1974. The end of Don Revy and, of course, Leeds United winning the old first division. Wow, that's your stat for you. <laughs> there was the horrendous appointment of Brian Clough, like that sort of heralded the very successful period for Leeds United after Don Revy. Yes, all, all went to up after that unfortunately Matt can I say that of course you can mate of course you can we've got a bleep machine it gets overly used so um, <laughs> yeah after that unfortunately but yeah as you can probably tell with Matt's connection at times he's, he's got a tin can and a piece of string all the way from St James's hospital to Birmingham by sounds on it <laughs> uh, require uh, the Arctic uh, Research Centre for, for, for Russia as well it's absolutely it's Right then, let's crack on. So finally, 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 after seven games, Leeds United finally picked up a win against Watford on Saturday after a 1-0 win, thanks to a, a clever little finish from Diego Llorente. Just want to get your thoughts on on the game, chaps, overall. Anyone who stood out for you, you know, is, they, is, it, is this a kickstart of our season now? Or were we just up against a very poor team? So, yeah, what's your thoughts on this one? I think it it was a game, lads, that really should have been put to bed uh, quite early on in the, well, certainly in the first half. We had chances and second half probably followed a similar pattern to last week against West Ham. I thought Jamie Shackleton was absolutely magnificent at right back. It'll be very interesting to see when Luke Hayling is fit. I know he's going for, for surgery by the sounds of it. I thought he was brilliant. I thought Coops and Lorente uh, at the back uh, were solid. I thought Junior Firpo put out his best game in the lead shirt. Uh, and I thought Dan James put out. I thought it was a really good performance. Certainly first half was a really good performance. Just to end the anxiety, not to win 1-0 with, when you're holding on, because obviously with a, with a disallowed goal towards the back end of the second half. But it was a comfortable win. 
uh, and there's reports this morning in the Athletic that Watford are looking to possibly dispense of Cisco Munoz, which I think is a little bit unfair because they're going to be mad right now tomorrow. So, yeah, it's a great win. It's important to get that monkey off our back and get that first win of the season. I, I, I can't disagree with any of that. You know, it, it's um, it was one of those win uglies, wasn't it? You just had to win that game, really. Yeah. It was. It sounds ridiculous when you're seven games into a season to say it's a must-win and it's a six-pointer against a relegation rival. But that, that's just what's happened, isn't it? Now with the, I guess, the pressure of the media, the pressure from your fans. That it's it's all. Our challenge this season has been, as another uh, another of the team said, Dan. It's our finishing was just on point, wasn't it, last season? Mm. You know, it it went in. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm sure you. I'm sure you've got a. A construction stat or something you could look at this season versus last, but there's so many chances, um, so so many chances. Should, should have gone in like five nil up or something at half time, and to say we went in one nil and it was a centre half who uh, who got it was, it was a smashing finish, but it's not one you would have expected. Was just said it all, but it was so important to register that win, and I think as you've hit on there, the fact that Dan James has probably finally put on his most effective performance. Mm. I um, had a couple of questions in my mind still about Furpo. I think he can, there's a mistake in him, so he's, he's, he's a bit shaky. But that was definitely his best performance of the season. And Matt, you sort of pointed out to me, because I was doing my usual moan about Liam Cooper, the, uh, the stats from yesterday's game. That was a very, very solid performance from, from both of our centre-halves. So it, it was... Just that sense of catharsis, that release um, when you won was just incredible. 1-0 didn't do it justice, but so necessary. Yeah, speaking of Coops, I think he's it, it, taken a lot of flat stats. As you know, it's, um, it's not been easy for him at times, has it? You know, I think we've been guilty of it before on this podcast, but I think against West Ham, he was brilliant with Cresswell. He, he, he was a proper leader along Cresswell, I felt, yeah. and, and really brought him into the game. And again, yesterday with Lorente, I thought they looked really comfortable. I do like that partnership because a lot of people think it should be Stroik and Lorente. I yes. just felt Cooper and Lorente were so comfortable against Watford, but they didn't really get tested, I don't think, if I'm honest with you. Like Watford, I felt Watford were very disappointing. Like they came into the game on Saturday, seven points. Yeah. You know, they, they've managed to get seven points. So and they've been so unpredictable. Like I said pre-game, absolutely got no idea what these are going to do. They're so hard to predict, but they just didn't offer much at all, did they? But I think um, we put in a real proper professional performance, if I'm honest with you. And I think touching on your point with Furpo as well, Matt, I thought he was outstanding. He he was up against Sarah at times, wasn't he? Ishmael yeah. Sarah um, at Watford, who's a very very dangerous player, and he had him in his back pocket for the majority of the game, if I'm honest with you. I, I just kept expecting to see Saar do something and to, to his credit Furpo did marshal him quite well mm. uh, and and he, he does add a lot more going forwards as well um, so he, he, he has that more completeness as a left back you can see that it's there and hopefully this is the the sign of things to come isn't it um, yeah. we, we moaned didn't we about Alioski you know, our favourite or Marmite player, but um, <laughs> moaned about him last season. Oh, he's giving it away. Oh my God, he's not looking up enough when he when he's uh, looking, you know, trying to find another player. But Furpo's had that wobbliness as he's he's overcome it though. I think in that game, 
uh, th- there was one moment that stuck out for me, and I think he, he dispossessed um, Saar, didn't he? Yeah. And, uh, and he sort of did it, didn't didn't go to the ground, didn't chop at his feet. There was nothing clumsy. It was very effortless. Um, and he played out, and I think it, in that occasion it was it was Llorente who sort of mucked it up, and then there was it Tofa that had a shot at goal, but. Um, it, it was just that it's a shame that it didn't sort of you know follow all the way through, wasn't it? Really, because it was such a nice recovery, wasn't it? And uh, you could see his class really then, couldn't you? I really think fingers crossed for Firpo, chaps. Really, really, really. I think he's a real deal, me. You know, stats you probably might agree. I think he's. Um, you've got to remember, he's, he's coming into a new country, a new league, a new style of play. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. to take in. You know, he's obviously settling in, bringing his family over. You know, he's played under Bielsa. You know, any footballer that joins Leeds United instantly within a month for like crikey. You know, this this is some some type of training regime and 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 a way of playing that he, he won't be used to. So it would always going to take him time to accommodate. I remember after the Newcastle game, he got a lot of flack uh, and yeah. un- unnecessary in my opinion because all oh, this oh yeah, Alioski, Alioski this, Alioski that, Alioski's gone. Forget yeah. about him, he coming back. Yeah. Um, and Alioski were never a left back. Third yeah. was a proper left back. We've not had a proper left back at Leeds for a while now, since probably Stephen Warnock. <laughs> so yeah, I think um, uh, I think I think we've got a proper player there, and I think he's gonna he's gonna you know really come in, come out and and show that he's been a, a fantastic signing come the end of the season. And I think what people forget is, as you rightly said there, mate, it's a new signing. It it takes time new country for him and it's not just going to happen overnight for some players and they're coming into Bielsa but it's a completely different way of working as a Premier League footballer it, it takes time the same with Dan James as well it'll come and I think it was vital yesterday to get that first victory of the season and they've got it and hopefully now they can hopefully move on from this it, it, I think the biggest problem is we overachieved last season to finish ninth first season was absolutely magnificent and it was always going to be difficult second time round to, to replicate that and for me if we finish where we say I don't know 12th to 15th you then build for next season because I think next season for me is the really key summer because there'll be so many question marks for the likes of Phillips over Rafinha even over Bielsa as well so to me, consolidate for this season, which I think we will do. I think we're quite comfortable because having watched Watford, there's three worst teams in Leeds in this league. Leeds will be fine. I just think it's about consolidation this season. We're not going to make Europe. I think that's a little bit too ambitious, in in my opinion, uh, and literally go from there. But yeah, it was a big victory yes, yesterday, and hopefully we can build. And it's annoying we've got uh, an international break now, but that is what it is. But yeah, really happy with the, the three points yesterday. Just uh, touching on your point earlier, stats as well. You mentioned Shackleton. Mm. We tweeted on writing Gary Kelly's last night that he was out f***ing standing, I felt, yeah. yesterday. I felt against yeah. West Ham, he was out of his depth. And we said this last week on the podcast, he he struggled, I felt, against West Ham. But he was absolutely brilliant um, mm. against against what? Watford. And I, I've worried about losing Ehrling. I think Cody Drama's ready, but he's getting nowhere near that first team. Yeah. But seeing Shackleton, I, I went into yesterday and I thought, if he had a bad game against Watford, I don't think he's going to get another chance yeah he was brilliant honestly 90 minutes he was fantastic never switched off he was everywhere wasn't he and he, yeah. he he had some tricky tricky players up against him at times and he he was fantastic and he stats yeah. proved that at the end of the game he, he sort of uh, I'm probably I'm, I'm not given to sort of um, overblown statements as you know Matt but um, Shackleton 
for me, is a little bit like our little James Milner, isn't he? He's Mr. Dependable. Yeah. You can stick him at a number 10 role, he'll do well. You can stick him defensive midfield, he'll do well. You can put him at right back, left back, probably ever. I don't know, has he got the uh, the presence to command a goal area? Could he stand in for Melier? He's a smashing player, and he, he's technically not not to be uh, not to be sniffed at. Let's be honest, he, he's a very fast player, and I think I remember Bielsa saying about him, God, um, promotion season, he he can make things change and happen very very quickly, and he seems to have he has stepped it up, hasn't he? Into the Premier League, he has stepped it up. He had a shaky game against West Ham, but look who he was playing against. Of Antonio, it's probably about three times the size of him. You know, he, he was always going to cause him problems. So you see a big future for him, really, don't you? I think. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I tweeted yesterday his seventieth appearance for Leeds yesterday, which is unbelievable. Because he made his debut what, away at Derby County in the Fulham victory mm-hmm. in August two thousand eighteen. And it, again, it takes time because he's been there for the whole Bielsa thing, and he's seen it. I think he's taken his chance. I thought. The back end of the championship season in 1920 thought it was brilliant. Goes goals against Derby and, and Charlton and what have you. And I thought yesterday he showed what it was all about. And it'll be very interesting when Luke is fit, uh, which way Bielsa does go. Yeah. He's a different type of player as well, isn't he, to Ailing? He's, um, it's just had a bizarre thing to say, but the, the, the style he plays is much more like a traditional right back. You know, he's, I mean, Ailing's much more of what you might call a, a modern attacking right back. I mean, Furpose is sort of mirror image, isn't he? And on the left, you know, that he liked his place to get forward and involved in the press. And I, I think Shaq will put a good ball in now and again and play it to feet. Um, but um, still very, very effective. And very. a great tickler as well. He needs to work on his shooting. He nearly cleared the cop uh, when he had that chance <laughs> second half. <laughs> so just moving on then, Rodrigo, I think again, I think for the team he played well, he linked up and brought players into play. One thing I've noticed with Rodrigo since he stepped into the role of Banford is I think he needs to be more selfish. Mm. You know, I think he he probably and it's maybe just a natural natural thing for him to bring players into play and and the, the cute little touches and, and laying off a player when he's he's clean through. There were a couple of occasions yesterday where if you were a clinical number nine, you take a good touch and you bring the ball into the box where. I felt with Rodrigo, he got himself in some good positions at times yesterday where he could have probably unleashed a, a shot or, or taken a, the ball into the box or whatever and he'd, he'd just try a little deft touch and bring another player into into play. And, and for me, I just think with Bamford, you know, we really do need a, 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 someone that can come in and, and step in and be as clinical as Bamford. And I think, I think Rodrigo just needs to work on that side of his game because for me, he needs to be a lot more selfish than he's currently been at the moment. And I think um, he could have probably got a couple if he really would have screwed his head on and, and, and thought about himself more than bringing players into play, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the special thing he brings as well is he's got that real kind of, I don't know, telepathic sort of link, hasn't he, to, uh, to Rafinha? That, that they play together ever so well. Don't, that, I know that there's that one, wasn't it, where uh, Rafinha stuck it into the side netting. You should watch that lad from Wolves, shouldn't he, yesterday, by the way, um, about how to sort of um, do a cross-angle shot into goal, which I was <laughs> standing, and I kept flashing back to that, and it's just very unlike him, but it's that beautiful slide reel pass, and he seems to sort of link up ever so well with Rafinha. You're right, though, Matt, he's just, he's become sort of um, Mr. Generous, hasn't he, under BLC, and he, he'd rather sort of lay it off to someone else or let it skip through his legs, you know, uh, 
yeah, which he, I think he, he did the other week, didn't he? When the thing you put that cross in, what? Why on earth he's not just burying it when he gets those chances? I think Click and, and Rodrigo combined, didn't they, and sort of laid it back for Dallas, who was about three seconds too late for it. And you think he's just blooming it, it. You know, why? Why has that left him? Like, you just don't know. But uh, I think a lot of us, myself included, wanted to see Rodrigo play as a striker. And we're getting it now. And I think I think we're being proven right. I think he is a good striker. But the goals, yeah, the goals, God help us, where are they? I think what's interesting with Rodrigo is we saw the back end of last season, certainly in the Burnley game, we won 4 nearly It was brilliant. Yeah, I like. I see what you mean by saying the word selfish. It's, it's sometimes taking a shot on rather than looking for that final pass. And it sounds like Paddy will be back for the Southampton game in a couple of weeks' time. So where does that leave Rodrigo? Because obviously he's, he's going to, is going to start Patrick Bamford against Southampton or, or or against Wolves the following game. So I think he just needs that goal, doesn't he, Rodrigo, just for his confidence. Uh, I thought he linked up really well for Rafinha, and especially on Rafinha yesterday, I thought he was absolutely magnificent. He just he plays in his own way, Rafinha, but it, it's nice to have these selection queries and hopefully once we get the players back and hopefully Robin Cock won't be too far away and hopefully Paddy will be back for Southampton game. It'll give BL sort of almost a full squad. Uh, I was talking to Adam Forshaw yesterday. To, he was sort of me on the gang with with LUTV, he's not too far away. So hopefully, come the Salamps again. Apart from Luke Hale, we might have a fully fit squad to pick from. Just just on for sure stats, I fear for him. If I'm honest with you, you know, obviously he came back, yeah, played against Fulham, and he's obviously had a recurrence of an injury. Yeah. I think when you've been out for so long as a professional footballer, and obviously you used to playing 30, 40 games a season, and then suddenly you're out for two years. Yeah, and he's what he played. Did he play full ninety against Crew? He did, yes. And yeah. obviously, he picked a tear, tear up since, hasn't he? Yeah. In his, in his hamstring, I think it was. It, it, it makes me worried for him that, you know, obviously he's coming in and playing intense Premier League football and we're expecting him to be, you know, running off the ground from, from minute one, really. And I think I'm just worried for him that he's going to pick up a few more knocks this season. And, yeah. You know, obviously, he's, I think Rads has put him under a lot of pressure as well by saying he's... You know this new signing we we've been waiting yeah. for. I think that's I think that was unnecessary. If I'm honest with you, some of Ken Bates used to love doing. But yeah, I'll generally. How did you think spirits wise? Does he think he's do you think he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's overcome he's, his injuries now? Do you think he'll be? Yeah, he, you reckon he'll good. get ten, fifteen games a season, even off so, the bench? Because he's still in very good spirits, and I, I felt I feel sorry for him because he comes back and gets on these knockbacks. And as you say, he's been out for for just under two years. Obviously, I think he made his last. Uh, League appearance against Charlton when, when we lost 1 0 at the Valley in September 2019. So I'd love to see him back because I think he's still got a lot to offer. But it's, it's, it's the age as well. And when your body is struggling, it can be difficult. I, I hope we do see him back because I, I certainly think he can add something to the squad. So uh, fingers crossed it. But it's difficult, isn't it, when you've been out for so long? So, as always, uh, we got the Leeds United thoughts straight after the full-time whistle. And as you can imagine, it was a lot more positive than it was against West Ham. So, James Beck tweeted, Laurenti was class. Look back to ourselves. Good passing. Just wish we put more of our chances away. We go again. And then Mike Willis kind of just did a bullet point list for us. So, obviously, Laurenti's goal celebration was great. It meant the world to him and us. I'd love to see a race between Shaq and James, which... That'd be an interesting one, that, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> but, um, 
Roberts better, but still naive at times. Phillips seemed quiet, but ran the midfield anyway. And overall, very happy to see Leeds look more like Leeds for much longer. Interesting one about Roberts. He had that great chance. I think that scissor kick opportunity. I think if that would have gone in, I don't think he would have made Mike's uh, negative tweet on there at that moment of slagging Roberts off. But anyway, moving on, CJ Slater. We battered them, but poor decisions in the final third. Man of the match for me was Rafinha. Once again, he's class, certainly looked dangerous. Overall thoughts, a good, solid team performance, but we need to be more clinical in front of goal. And then Ben Varley wrapped it up as a thank f- result. Should have been four or five. Shaq Lorente were decent, but can't really see what Rodrigo brings. Thoughts, chaps? What does Rodrigo bring apart from sort of holding together the attack and insightful passing and setting up other players? I don't know what else he brings. You know, this is uh, Spain's number nine to the Leeds United first 11, Matt. <laughs> it needs to be a selfish b- and that's what he needs to bring. That is very true, yeah. <laughs> I think you can't please everybody. You know, we've won the game, you can't please everybody. But for me, vital victory. Going to the international break with a few smiles amongst the squad. Play we go uh, to the various countries. Uh, and just a special mention, I hope Stuart Dallas is fit uh, for Northern Ireland. I know he took a knock yesterday. So I think it's just wait and see on that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. All the notes of victory. It didn't. It didn't look good. It's. It's never. It never looks good when you see a player like Stuart Dallas being brought off, does it, with an in- injury? Um, I think what we're pleasing is that when the players did the the, the lap of, I nearly said lap of honour, but when the players went round clapping the, the supporters at the end, Dallas was on the pitch with the players. Yeah. So it's not like they they rushed him straight to the treatment table. So hopefully it was just a slight twinge. But like you said, it, it was massive going into an international break. There's nothing worse than going and watch England play Andorra and Georgia and teams like that. No, we, we, we got beat on our last league game. So, yeah, great result. And, yes. yeah, it's a nice couple of weeks now knowing we've got uh, a big game coming up again for us. So, yeah, looking forward to that. But um, just, to, just to wrap up on, on yesterday in general against Watford, Couple of fans highlights. I think we we need to uh, we need to highlight. I don't know if stats you you noticed them up in the gantry in the posh seats while you were having your prawn sandwiches um, during the game. <laughs> but um, the one for me, I don't know if you saw the the Danny Rose incident. I need to shout out the lad in the south stand. Uh, Danny Rose came to take a corner. Incidentally, it was the 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 Watford resulted to the Watford goal that got ruled out, which. At the time, I thought was very unlucky for them, if I'm honest. And after after looking back, it, it did seem unlucky. But going back to the lad in the south stand, as Danny Rose is walking up to the corner flag, the lad comes running down the steps, waving a £10 note at Danny Rose's face. <laughs> caught Danny Rose's attention and, and Danny didn't like it at all. And obviously, it's in relation to when um, he, he left the uh, Leeds United Academy for a million-pound move to, to Spurs. Which yeah. I thought it was a bit harsh on Danny, if I'm being honest with you, because at the time it was a fire sale. So, you know, anybody that could move that wore a Legion United badge, you were getting flogged at the time. Yeah. But obviously that got a reaction from Danny Rose and obviously the South Stand enjoyed every single minute of it. And then the second one for me, really, that stood out for yesterday is the, the standard. I think there were what, 25 Watford fans there yesterday. They all came in a taxi, I believe. Uh, <laughs> the kind of chant of Jimmy Savile is one of your own, obviously, standard, happens every game. Yeah. But obviously the Leeds United fans just returning that back with um, Jimmy Savile, he's shagged Elton John <laughs> in response. So obviously that upset the 25 Watford fans that came to the game on Saturday. <laughs> I, think, I 
it's all banter, isn't it, at the end of the day? Because we'll wear the, the away stands at that and what have you. You're going to get that with the South Stand and what have you. It's, it makes it for, for a proper atmosphere. As, as for the Danny Rose thing, I think it was a, a period at the time when you had youngsters like Tom Taiwo and Michael Woods. And yeah. I think they ended up at Chelsea, didn't they? Uh, and what have you. And obviously Danny Rose went to Tottenham. And as you rightly said, that period of, of, the, of the club, I think Ken Bates was trying to make as much money as possible. So you can't really blame Danny Rose for going to Tottenham at that particular point. And obviously, yeah, uh, uh, he got what he, he got the incident with the fans yesterday. And there was also a special mention to the young boy, I think it was at the end of the game, who managed to escape the stewards and give Jamie Shackleton a high five at the end of the game and then jump back to the cops. So uh, it kind of all happened yesterday. Just one, one, one other thing, stats as well, is that I put that victory down to you, if I'm honest with you, if your tweet that you put out an hour before kickoff saying last time it rained versus Watford, we won, we won it in 2006. We did. We did. But at home, shall we say, should we put yeah. disclaimer to say at home, not the playoff yeah. final, yes. which I got absolutely drenched in Cardiff that day. Oh, that was horrible. That was, yeah, I meant to say at home, it was a, a cold, wet Tuesday. It was actually St Valentine's night uh, at Ellen Road. At least one down that night. Uh, I think Ashley Young scored for Watford and amazingly in goal for Watford that day won Ben Foster wow so there you go so Stats literally knows everything about Leeds United so if you put him on the spot you know I don't know should we say who was the top scorer for Leeds United in the 83 84 oh. season that, that would have been one George McCluskey who actually scored the winning goal <laughs> <laughs> Prior to the 2015-16 victory at Cardiff, was our last actually win in the in the Welsh capital. So yes, wow. no happy memories. Sort of the mid 80s were horrible, horrible times. But thankfully now, nearly 40 years on, we're in a lot, lot better place. What about how many touches of the football did Kevin Nichols have for Leeds United? Too many. Uh, another <laughs> another one injured when he came. Because mm. I think he came with loot. I think at that time in the July 2006, Blackwell wanted Steve Howard with Kevin Nichols. And who knows, the season could have turned out differently if that being the case. Nichols came, got injured in pre-season training, didn't make his debut until a 3-0 defeat at home to Sunderland uh, when Roy Keane was manager of the, of the Mackhams. Uh, and then, yeah, I remember he, he kind of threw the towel in. The, I think it was the Sheffield Wednesday game that he didn't want to play for Leeds again. He was a captain as well, wasn't he? He, got he, was, captain. He, was made, yeah. he was made captain when Dennis Wise came. Sean Day was made vice captain. And then he just threw the towel in. And yeah, he's, he's, he's on the captain's board. He's made official captain uh, yeah. of the football club. So probably in answer to that question, Matt, too many. <laughs> Hi, I'm Johnny Allison. I'm a big fan of the Ryan and the Gary Kelly's podcast. So we've introduced a chance for you guys to support us this season by becoming a Ryan McGarry Kelly's patron member. For as little as £2 a month, you can help support the work we do and make sure that we can continue to bring you our podcast series and our in-depth online articles about the football club that we all love. That's good, Vic. Two quid, you can't even buy a decent cup of coffee for that these days. Come to think of it, did you see Birmingham City Football Club? They're selling chips and a cheese slice for four quid. Absolutely criminal. For three pound a month, you can also get early access to this podcast before it goes on general release. And come and join us for a monthly Q&A and talk all things Leeds, plus much, much more. Not forgetting, for five pound a month, you can get to join us for a Q&A, early access to episodes, a live recording of each podcast, and you'll also get the chance to join us on the show as one of our loyal members. 
I tell you what, that's not bad at all, is it? And the best thing about us setting up as a membership is that we'll be delivering you an ad-free podcast. And you don't hear that very often these days. It's our unique selling point. So becoming one of those patron members helps fund what we do. It helps continue to deliver this podcast. And you never know, we could even share some cheesy chips together before the end of the season. I guess you've summed it up perfectly. We go ad-free so we don't spoil your listening experience with legal advice and ball trimmers. Sounds like a good deal to me. Head over to patreon.com forward slash R-I-T-G-K to become a member today. As I mentioned earlier, I caught up with Mickey P. Kerr. He, he couldn't unfortunately join us for this for this show today. He's uh, he's actually gone swimming, you know, early morning swim. So just before he put his lycra and his swimming cap on, I caught up with Mickey P. Kerr and just got his thoughts on on Watford, the season so far, and what his latest project has been. As much as we'd love to talk about your uh, your breaststroke technique, uh, yeah. I think it's time we, uh, we 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 have a little quick chat about. Well, let's talk about Watford, thoughts on Watford, and just quickly about the season, um, just before we get on to, to what your next project is, really. Yeah, well, uh, Watford were great. It's like, I was just talking earlier about uh, the West Ham game. It's the first, That West Ham game was the first time I've been to watch a Premier League game in um, you know 17 years. So I was buzzing for that, and I thought the performance in the first half was absolutely brilliant, and you can see it coming now. And the second half, yeah, we, we fell away, but that West Ham team, they're a top six team now. So it was a good performance that, and um, we did really well. And in front of goal, it's still lacking. I know that. Then uh, fast forward to Watford yesterday, another really good performance, our best performance of the season. And they just didn't. They got nowhere with us. They, we, we, but this this Watford team have got seven points. You've got to remember that they sat mid table. So people saying that Watford are rubbish. Well, they're better than. <laughs> they've got seven points. So if they're rubbish, then a lot of other teams are rubbish. I, th- I think we're just comfortably going to be all right with that bottom half of the Premier League. I think we're just a lot better than them. And, and people are panicking about this start to the season. It's not been that bad. I think that we, we've, you know, Burnley away and Newcastle away probably should have converted, you know, we should have four more points than we've got really. But Burnley away is not, you know, when the fans are in, it's not easy. Same with Newcastle. So I think people are needlessly panicking. It's just not quite clicking in front of goal, but quality will shine through. And uh, we needed that win desperately just for a bit of confidence. And I, I don't think it's been a terrible start to the season. I just think we're not quite in that form we were at the end of the season, obviously. And I think last year, because we'd, we we played six and we've lost three, last season we'd have had nine points because we weren't drawing games, uh, which is vital. But we've just got to convert those draws into wins but you can see it coming. I think we've improved massively on last year. I, I, I really do. I think we're going to be better than... I think we'll do better than we did last season, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. I've said fifth. I've said we're going to finish fifth. And it, it's a long shot. I think... Well, I, 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 realistically, I think it's more like seventh or eighth. But it will come. And I think the Bielsa machine, you can see it's starting to work and tick over. And it will come. And James has been a you know a really good addition. Seeing Harrison warming up, you know, Harrison can't get in the team at the minute. And he's, mm. he's a quality player. We've just got, We've just got so many good players now. It's amazing to, to to think about the team we've got. The defensively, I mean, Cresswell, the emergence of Cresswell as, as a Premier League entity now, I mean, everyone's so excited about him. You've got Stroik on the bench, 
I think Stryker and Laventa is our best pairing. Um, I mean, there are doubts about Cooper, and in, in a way, we're a bit, a little bit lucky when I saw that match of the day, when I saw that um, Mesley had dropped the ball on, on that corner, mm. and you do think to yourself, "Fucking hell, that is a that's a goal." But then you look at the, the penalty decision. Dan, Dan James has been brought down. You think about Dan James in the, the Newcastle game. We're, we're, the, the luck's not going for us really. We've had no. two Stonewall penalties not given. Um, and apart from that, though, we, we just Watford offered absolutely nothing. But because we were so much better than them, we totally controlled the game. So I think there's loads of positives to take from the start of the season, despite the fact that we've, in a couple of games, we've played below par. My United have got battered, but we're used to that now. Everton, that Everton point feels good, actually, because, you know, you look at, uh, they should have beaten Man United uh, yesterday. They're, they're playing really well. They're up by the top of the league. Liverpool were outclassed. Just right off the top four, we're probably going to get battered by them. Bottom half of the league, I think we'll batter them. I think we'll control them. And possession, we've been doing well. It'll click in front of goal. Bamford is going to play. Uh, he's going to come on form at some point. Uh, Dan James, Harrison, Rafinha's, you know, looking like the threat he is. All these players, they're going to do well in front of goal at some point in the season. And it's going to click. And I'm, I'm pretty confident for a top 10 finish. I think uh, as well, Mickey, I think people are factoring the, the amount of injuries we've had to key players this season as well. I think uh, West Ham, you're going to think West Ham who we were missing. We're missing some big players, Aileen, Bamford, you know. So I think these are, these are big players that we've we've missed, and there's there's been suspensions as well, losing strike. You know, when I thought we were yeah. getting a good one, like you said, I think he, he could have probably cemented a, a place in the team. So yeah, I think we've got to factor that in, and we've got some good fixtures coming up now. We uh, have yeah, Southamptons, you know, Richards, Wolves, who Wolves. are starting to pick a bit of form up, but. You know, I think they're beatable at home, definitely. Well, you know, Wolves and Brighton took 12 points off us last season. They did. Is that going to happen again this season? I just can't really see it. So, and we've got them coming up. So, yeah, I'm, I think this next five, well, that Watford game was important. I, you know, the next five, you look at games in sixes if you want, you know, like, um, which is a decent way to look at it because, you know, there's 38 games split up into sixes and you've got two spare games if you want, you know what I mean? So um, you look, you look at little form patches like that. We've we've had um, we've we've had three losses in our first six games, and now the next six games is gonna is gonna define our start to the season. Really, our first third of the season, and if we can pick up three wins, it's not too bad. We've already got one of them. So you know, we knew, I, I'm honestly two more wins out of that um, next six, and maybe a couple of draws, and we'll be solidly mid table. And the second half of the season is is the most important half. And the, the the last quarter of the season is the la, is the most important quarter because there's no recovery time, you know. And and teams do go in and out of form. People are just panicking because they think, oh, a bad start, you know, a bad bit of form means that we're going to be crap for the rest of the season. It's just not how it works. I mean, look at Southampton last season. They start people are talking about Europe after eight games, and they're in a relegation scrap. It, it, it's just you know, form patches fall off a cliff. And it, and it all turns round. And Man City started terrible. They won the they won the league at a canter. So I think we'll improve. I think we'll gel. Furpo looked great yesterday. Mm, People are did. talking about oh we want Alioski back. And it's yeah. like, the amount of slag it. I I, I just it, it disappoints me with the amount of um, when you go on Twitter. It's just a cesspit into it of of uh, mm. cynical pessimism. And you're like oh god. When you get into the ground at Ellen Road, 
you, that's all gone, and you realise that actually the Leeds United fan base is just incredible, isn't it? And yeah, and they're there in the state They're there in the stadiums, mate. They're not there. Abs- absolutely, you know, and, that, and it was great floor. to get back. And that, the atmosphere against West Ham is one of the best I've ever seen at Lamont. Yeah, yeah. It was unbelievable. And I was in the cheese wedge for that. I know it's you know near the south stand. It was unbelievable. I was in the northwest yesterday. Mm. And it was a bit more subdued, and you could feel a bit of tension. Actually, it felt like because it's a game we should win. We were favourites in that game for the, probably the yes. first time this season. It's like right, this is a team that's just come up. We are now favourites, and you could feel that champ. You know, they were in the championship, and we're like, oh god, we've got to get out of this league. And and you could you could feel it going wrong a bit. There was a little bit of that, but a clean sheet's going to de- definitely. Um, that's what we needed, isn't it? Really, a nice clean sheet, and. Um, and we've got our goal. I mean, Lorente, that finish from Lorente was a lot better than people are going to give him credit for. It was behind him. Really instinctive finish. Uh, a little bit, like I say, it's not clicking in front of goal, but it will. It will. And I, I'm not worried about injuries because I, I think we've got a great bench and I, I, I want to see some of the kids come through. I really do. I, I feel sorry for Joffe because um, he's performing so well in the 23s. He gets his chance against Fulham. He doesn't get a kick. And you, and you can feel him going down the pecking order. He's fourth choice now. He's, fought, he's behind Roberts, you know, it, it's Bamford, Rodrigo, Roberts, and then it's Joffe. So, um, you know, when, it, when injuries happen, there's a chance, there's a chance for the academy kids. So, I, I, and I think we'll always have injuries, mate. People, I, I think the entire season, we're going to have injury problems. Ailing, I think I've, I've heard on, on the grapevine that Ailing might be out for a lengthy spell as well, um, looking at maybe February, March. Um it's all the great man. It's all he said, she said rumours, but apparently a surgeon has linked it. So we might be looking at Ailing out for a while, but then you look at, I mean, Ailing was good cover for centre-back as well, but then we've got Cresswell in now and he's, I mean, I want to see that kid perform. He's, it looks amazing. And Shackleton's my favourite player at the minute. Yeah, we've got Cody you know, Drama as well. We've got Cody loads Drama. of cover. Let's bring yeah. the kids in. Lewis Bate looking great as well. Yeah. Let's get these kids in and see how they do. So, don't worry about injuries. Expect injuries. It's Bielsa. We've always had injuries under Bielsa. We've got a thin squad, and just get used to it. This is how this is how it is with Bielsa. You know, it's the way it is. And Robert Robert Sartway, by the way, did really well yesterday. What about that chance? The uh, scissor, the scissor kick, kick. Or, yeah. yeah. Imagine if that would have gone in. He's, he's so unlucky with that. I, I just feel like he's going to go on a run this season. I feel like he's going to score sixty-eight or something like that. I just feel like it, things are going to click one. for him. I think he needs one, don't he? And then obviously, hopefully, it'll. It was, it was a massive goal. We want him to season. do well. We, everyone wants him to do well. He can be frustrating at times. Well, we, Bielsa loves him. him well. Bielsa yeah. absolutely loves him. So just get used to that because when when the first sub comes on, it's going to be Roberts. Every so time. Uh, just get behind him. And uh, yeah, we just lack that. We have what we haven't got is world class finishing. Apart from maybe Rafinha, that you feel like that, you know. It's not been really working for him in front of goal either at the minute, but you feel like that could really change and it could become um, an option for a top four Champions League team because he's got that in his pot, in his locker. But we're gonna we're gonna miss loads of chances. That's how we do it, and I think we're gonna dominate teams. I really do, and I think there's a there's a lot of pessimism in the in the fan base at the minute because people can't. There's a lot. Of, it's like a world of permanent amnesia in in fandom at the minute. You can't. The last game is the big one, you know, and that's it. That's all that matters. It's not, you know, anyone listening now. I'm telling you, we're going to finish top ten. It's going to be comfortable, and um, I think we're going to push for Europe. And I think the team deserve that loyalty and they deserve that backing. I mean, when the they've never let us down in two years. Mm. You know, the, the first season we had that slump at the end, and it goes to show. You can start really well, but it's all about how you finish. So, 
And there's no reason to say why we can't click into gear and get that second half of the season nailed and, and push on for a European place. Well, I think that's a perfect way to wrap that one up, Mickey. With your next project then, impact yeah. of money in the game, in the modern game. Yeah. Tell us about what you've been working on then. Uh, yeah, it's a really interesting project for me as well. It's not, it's not comedy and it's not music. So it's like, and I've always kind of stayed there really, you know, in what I've done for the last 20 years. But um, I've been looking at the economics and stuff behind football and and we've lost the game. I've ended up writing a book. I've written a bloody book. I'm still uh, trying to finish it off and uh, and finalise it. But basically it's, it's called the people's shame because we've, the game is no longer ours and and. I'm looking at the politics into football. Football is really, really deeply political. And that's not been acknowledged. No one seems to understand that. They just seem to go along with, oh, this is the way that football is. It's very, very political. The way it's organised, the way it's structured and the way it's financed. It's all deeply political. And, it, it, you know, basically it's Thatcherism. That's, it's neoliberalism. That, and it's coming in the, mid, in the early 80s, before the Premier League started, it came in. Uh, and it's all about monopolisation. It's all about the rich getting richer and everyone else getting poorer. And I've, I, you look at the stats and long-term trends and, and the, the pyramid's just crumbling. Teams are going out of business. In the first 100 years of uh, professional football, since you know, it's 1888, the first, first league, um, in 100 years, there was 10 cases of administration. And since the Premier League started, there's been 56 and, it, and it's it's accelerating. And when I started doing all the you know the research into this and the writing, Derby County hadn't happened. Um, so you, there's so many teams in the Championship that it's a perilous situation. I mean, Middlesbrough in 106 million pounds worth of debt. Reading are spending twice their um, revenue on wages. So this is just just going to keep happening. Teams are going out of business um, because football has been treated as a business. It's been turned into a, a standard business where and, and businesses fail. And what, what we've got now in fandom, I think I think English fandom has been it's so submissive, it, it, and it we've been humiliated. I think we're like the damsel in distress, praying for a billionaire in you know to come and save us in shining armour. And it, and it, I, I, I think we, 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 there's got to be some kind of revolution or some kind. Of, this is we live in a democracy. Where's the ideas on the table that are suggesting a different model? So my, my idea is this, bring football into public ownership and taking the broadcasting rights into public ownership, kick out Murdoch, kick out the billionaires and run football clubs at a profit because we can do that. All we've got to do is compress wages by maybe 5 or 10% and still pay the highest wages in the world and spread the money more evenly throughout the pyramids and make sure that there's no financial issues anymore. We don't have to do this and we... And, and the big clubs now, the top six or the big six, as the you know the super the uh, European Super League breakaway six, they're not just big clubs. They're the permanent winners of everything forever. Mm-hmm. That's the situation now. There's no more Nottingham Forests coming through. There's no more Leicester Cities either. That that was a one-off. It's just happening less and less. And when you look at the stats, the big teams are winning by more and more goals. They're winning by more and more. Uh, all the time and you look you look at this how football used to be just 30 years ago and how it is now it's incredible it's changed so much and the the the, the one thing that this revolution that i'm trying to get going which is <laughs> it's a one-man revolution at the minute but they all start somewhere it's got the european super league as it's kind of uh, that could be a catalyst for change because the current economic model is unsustainable and a revolution is going to happen 
It's just which one. Is it going to be the European Super League where we lose our football clubs? And basically, those top six teams, they're going to play around the world. It's, it's a world Super League. That's what's going to happen eventually. They're desperate for the North American markets to open up. They will Americanise the sport. And Chelsea, Man United, in fact, Man United will be called United because they won't, there won't be anything Manchester left about them. They're going to play in Beijing. You know, They're going to play in North America. They will play home games there. There's 400 million people in China who are the middle class well, and they've got money. That, that 39th Premier League game, I see that's resurfaced again, that conversation oh, every, last, they, last week or two. It's happening. They, they want, yeah. what, what all these people want, well, our clubs are owned by foreigners who are billionaires who don't even live in the UK. Mm. And, and English fans have just accepted it. I mean, I, I just don't, it's incredible and it's, re, it's deeply political, this. I think Abramovich, you know, I think what happened with Abramovich at, at Chelsea pretty much kick-started. But I think even if you look back on the... You've probably been watching it, Mickey, that fever pitch, Rise of the Premier League on BBC yeah. iPlayer. That's obviously about Murdoch's investment into the and, and monopoly of, of the Premier League back in the early 90s and how it's shaped to what it is today and how yeah. he used his media outlets to kind of put spin on certain games to amplify the Manchester United Arsenal. He'd use his papers to put six-page spread just on that yeah. one game, just to amplify it and get the interest. It's all uh, yeah, politically it's managed. It's all dramatic music as well, you know, and really yeah. excited presenters. He took a gamble, I mean, and he went cheerleaders at the start as well. He really yeah, tried to yeah. Americanise it, because of course he's Australian, he's not He's not English. Mm-hmm. It all started with the 1990 World Cup. They realised, and English football was in a mess, you know, don't get me wrong. It was in a real mess and it needed a rebrand and it got it. Mm. But now what it my argument is this you know it, it, even if you, you support Thatcherism you know it, the the baby boomer generation listening to this will have lived through the winter of discontent you know and they understand that in the seventies everything went really wrong and um, and it was time for a change but my argument is it's time for a change again it's time to change it because if if we don't take ownership of our football clubs we're going to lose them we're going to lose the bottom what the the ones at the bottom are going to go out of business and the ones at the top are going to belong to the rest of the world. And this is supposed to be special. It's a special, it's our heritage. It, we invented the sport and it came from us and it came from our ancestors. They're the ones that created the football clubs. And it was a working class movement. And it was all about the industrialised areas of like, you know, it started in the Northwest, uh, Newcastle and the Midlands, really. The Northeast, Northwest and the Midlands, it spread from there. They went down to London and and very quickly the the, the you had huge numbers as well, huge gate receipts. People really went out to watch their local teams. It was all about locality. And that's gone now. And mm. I think we've become like every other fan base in the world. I think we're getting assimilated into the Borg. People, and it's just about winners. That's it. People can't accept defeat. They can't accept losing. And football stops becoming entertainment because teams don't lose. And, and it's become, you know, it, that's why Bales are so special. We're so expansive. That's why we get battered. Because we, 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 we dare to lose. Mm. And I think that's important. Football is supposed to be about, about locality and about entertainment. And that's gone. Though, and my argument is, let's bring that back. We, can, we, can, we should be democratising um, football clubs. There's different models around the world that show this can be done. You can, and it, I mean, Hearts have bought their club back up in Scotland. Yes, I've, I've got a friend who's a Hearts fan. Yeah, um, so obviously and, and they yeah. went through turmoil, turmoil with the Lithuanians. Well, so did we. <laughs> well, yeah. So did we, and it, it, they did as well. But they, 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 what they did, they set up a foundation, and, and when it, when they got put into administration, they, um, 
they found a woman called Anne Budge, who's like a local millionaire, and they bought the club when it was, uh, you know, asset stripped. And their their motto is fan owned, but not but not fan run. So and that's important. We don't, I'm not saying that fans should run football clubs. Don't, you don't want to put a suit and tie on and do a Zoom meeting at nine o'clock and start looking at finances because it, it, it's not going to work. We'd, we'd we'd ruin the clubs as much as the billionaires, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd all spend loads of money on ridiculous signings. All it's all short termism. We want to put long term economic plans into place, compress wages a little bit, to, and like I say, kick out Murdoch. He's set up. He took a big financial risk. It went really well. And there's and the Premier League is a global brand, it's global, and what all we need to do is kick out Murdoch. We can sell it to the rest of the world. He's not doing anything. Like he said in that in that BBC, um, it's on iPlayer. It's a great little that yeah. fever pitch. If you're not if you've not watched it, it's great. It's on BBC iPlayer. All they've got to do is put cameras on. <laughs> the, 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 you know this this uh, this pantomime was what football's become. It plays out itself. And all you need to do is film it and we can sell it to the rest of the world and we can use that money to pay high wages and spread the money more evenly because the the amount of money that the top teams are getting in comparison to everyone else, it's, it's, it's incredible and it just keeps happening. And all that's going to happen, if you follow the pl- process of monopolisation, is that they're going to have, like, you know, it'll be the Chelsea D team, the Chelsea E team are going to be playing mm. in the League 2. Yes. And it's these super squads. And eventually it's mergers as well. You're going to have to merge them financially because once the ESL gets set up, the Premier League plays second fiddle then. Sponsorship money goes down. I mean, how much do we watch the championship now? No one's in, You're interested no. in the top league. Yeah. And all the foreigners are interested in the top league. They'll stop watching the Premier League. And they're going to have, you're going to have to merge with um, ESL clubs. It, it's all mergers. They don't want competition. It's the, the process of monopolisation is well underway. And there's got to be some kind of movement that goes, you know what, it's a different idea. Why don't so we try it, this? Are you are you in favour of having fans on the board then? So, for example... Absolutely, I, I, yeah. Yeah, the I, Super League, some of the Super League, so-called Top 6 Super League have brought fans on board and us Spurs have though. done that. They They've not done that yet. They've I know they were no talking power. about it. It's an illusion. It's an right. illusion. Liverpool have said the same thing. Yeah. They have no power. What you want oh, is no. economic change. It's economics. Yeah. This whole thing is built around economics. And I know that um, you know things are going wrong a lot, and the market equilibrium's out, and you know it doesn't work. Market forces have totally failed the wider economy as well. And people are talking about nationalising um, the uh, energy sector now because obviously we've had this recent. But that costs four hundred billion. It's a lot of money. But the football clubs, when you look at the debt, it's only about five or six billion. It's not much money. We could we could buy the football clubs for about five or six billion. It's nothing when you've got a GDP of 2.2 trillion. It's very little. Think about track and trace, 37 billion. We can buy the football clubs really cheap, and then we can run them at a profit. And we and the and there's different ways of doing it in terms of how how to um, how to own a football club, you know, d- democratically and uh, at a localized level. There's different ways of doing it, and these models need to be looked at. But you know, the one in Argentina's, uh, everyone pays basically you know a 10 pound a month subscription. And we can, you know, if we had a hundred Leeds fans, hundred thousand Leeds fans paid a tenner a month, you know, that's it's a lot of money. It's, it's a million pound a month, if I'm not mistaken. I think, Rads co- a, I think Rads has done a few schemes like that. Was it 25 quid for a cab or cut out of yourself? Were it 100 pounds for a bottle of champagne? Were it 10 pounds what, to go on a season ticket waiting list? You'll never get on, is it? No, 75 pounds for membership where we've got 36,000 stadium and I heard we've got 250,000 plus members. So yeah, it's uh, 
it, there's a clever way of getting that money out of fans in there additionally but um if people want to watch your because you did a presentation didn't you at the whole back working men's club i did uh, yeah i did yeah. i did a presentation there and um it's all the information's up there it's about an hour and 15 minutes i think and it's um, on the Leeds united supporters trust youtube page isn't it it is yeah and yeah it's not it's not had loads of views and and i know my plan is to take it away uh, on the road and, and go to Newcastle. Newcastle Trust, have, have, I've been trying to set up a date with them. They're interested, but it's just it's just finalising it all. Man United, um, all, all the places where there's conflicts with, with owners, I'm going to take this and try and destabilise and try and try and bring out the fact that this is deeply political. And mm. if you're happy with Thatcherism and the rich getting richer, then don't then you support it with inaction. There's, there's, we could, we should be running our football clubs totally different. We should be, I mean, and you can see Rads, right? He's the best owner we've had in years. Mm. But the fact that we're owned by an Italian that found out about us over, over a lunch, it's ridiculous. And look at his intentions. His intentions are to sell us. He bought us for 45 million. We're asset stripped. He doesn't care at all about us. There is, he does not care one iota about the Leeds United fan base or the people of Leeds. He cares about making profit. That's his job. It's to make profit. He's going to he's going to sell us for between six hundred million and a billion. That's his plan, and it's going to happen. It's, it, you know, we know that the Americans are coming in to buy us. He don't well, care. They, he he got, just wants this. Some shows as well. Forty nine Yeah. How much have they got? Is it nearly? It's nearly fifty percent now, isn't it? I'm About sure they keep. Seven, I think. They keep increasing it season by season, though. He's so going to. Yeah, the plan is for him to. We're going to be American owned. Yeah. And. We shouldn't be Leeds United should be owned by by Leeds United by the people, and I, you know it's all about devolution this and localized democracy, which is that, that that's what I think should be happening in the wider economy as well. But we, we, this is it's totally affordable this scheme. It's and we can run it at a profit, create loads of jobs. Mm. I've got loads of ideas, but I mean I'm there's there's more ideas to be had by people that are clever than me. But it's the principle, the the unfairness. And the inequality in the economics is it's palpable, isn't it? It's yeah. incredible. And it's time to challenge the, the politics. We live in a democracy and, and there's nobody challenging it. Why? So this is uh, this is my campaign. And if you want to get on board, <laughs> I need some help. Hi, guys. Michael Bridges here. When I'm lying in Australia on a nice sandy beach watching the shocks and the jellyfish come ashore, I like nothing better and reading and listening to writeinthegarrykellys.com. It's that time of the show again. Guess who? I'll give you three clues about an ex-Leeds United or current Leeds United player that has some connection to the club. And you guys just have to buzz in when you think you know which player I'm talking about. OK, you ready, chaps? Ready. Ready. Clue number one. This ex-Leeds United player was born in Lisbon in Portugal. Bruno Ribeiro. Yes. Incorrect. Damn it. Okay. So it's one guess per clue. All right. <sighs> this player came through the youth academy at Benfica and then moved on to Regina in Italy. Hadi Sacco. Incorrect. Stats. I think it's I think it's De Costa, but I could be wrong. Full name? Felipe De Costa. I don't know his full full name after that. For an extra bonus point, how many appearances did he make for Leeds United? None. Three. Ooh, you've got the player. 
Yeah. He made four in total. What about his debut? I can tell you, actually. I remember his debut. Darlington and the JPT. It was, and we were crying out for him. Do you remember? Yeah. To come on. Well done. Felipe da Costa. Yes, I can remember, yeah. The Portuguese maverick that we signed in our League One days under Dennis Wise. Sent off against Berry in another JPT appearance. And I don't know if you've seen much more after that. Didn't we send him to like Aberdeen on loan and they sent him back because he was just a troublemaker, was it? I'm sure it was. Spot on. Spot on. The rumours were that, like, I'm pretty sure, like, honestly, I can't find this anywhere, but I vividly remember that he went to Aberdeen on loan, and the night before a game, an SPL game, he was sat in the bar smoking a cigar and having a drink. Just some breaking news while we're on, and it has literally just broken the last two minutes. Cisco Munoz has been sacked as Watford manager. Wow. Was, wasn't, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not even going to try. I've got stats in there, so I'm not even going to try. But wasn't um, Milanic sacked after sort of three or four games or something? Milanic and Hockaday both had six games in charge. Milanic was actually in charge of Leeds United for 32 days. Luminac, the greatest yeah. manager we never had. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap for the well, very positive right in the Gary Kelly's podcast yeah. show today after after the win at, at Watford. Um, and obviously we're buzzing to go into an international break now with with that W behind us and, and onwards and upwards. So Matthews, thank you to Mr. LUFC Stats, Andrew Dalton, Matt Brown Bolton, Mickey Pete And as always, thanks for everyone for getting in touch, listening, downloading, everything that you do to keep us going. We absolutely appreciate every single one of you. All the best. Enjoy England and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Network.